This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Top of hour two, Bruce Cassidy, head coach of the Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights, will stop by. How much do you think he likes hearing that? A year after getting fired by the Boston Bruins, head coach of the Stanley Cup champion, pause, Vegas Golden Knights. I think a lot. You would. Think of a lot of those players that way. Tron the Marcheseau is one of the great ones, right? <clears throat> Get out of here from Florida. See you later. Expansion draft. We're protecting a couple of different players. Petrovic, we're keeping them. You're gone. Not only does he win the Stanley Cup, wins the Consumite Trophy as well. Like, there are a few on that team that are really enjoying every sandwich and every sip along the way before and at the parade. And let's just hope that Barbashev can stay on the float this time around. <laughs> Unlike in the St. Louis Blues parade. Anyhow, uh, Bruce Cassidy, the Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis, or the St. Louis Blues, there you go. Uh, Bruce Cassidy, of the uh, Stanley Cup champion, Vegas Golden Knights. Coming up at the top of the hour, Kevin Woodley from Ingold Magazine and NHL.com as well. Meanwhile, Matt Marchese. So this was your, this was your idea for the show today, and I kind of like it. Um, because I can't really nail down two of, uh, of, of any of your, your requests. So you wanted two players and two teams that you're most curious about. Well, good luck, because this is kind of like grabbing a handful of water. Like, there's a couple of players that I am really curious about here in the offseason, but, man, really, there's a ton. And there's, you know, these are two teams that I'm really curious about in the offseason, but really, there's a ton there. So where do you want to begin, players or teams? Well, first of all, I'm glad that you kind of like it. Um, and we only picked two of each because we are under time constraints. <laughs> so we could have done an hour on this. Um, let's start with the yeah. teams. Let's start with the team. So uh, you go first, and then I'll follow up with mine, and then we'll just Okay, okay you know who, and this is more for off ice. And again, just because I've been with the saga from day one, you know, I was I was actually in the courtroom presided over by Judge Redfield T. Bombs when I was working at CBC. This is how long this goes back, uh, when the keys were first thrown on the table. Um, and the entire Arizona Coyotes saga began. And um, I, I'm, I'm still fascinated by Arizona. And now what happens with Arizona, and now for the first time, it sounds very much, and we heard the uh, the commissioner talking during the uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, um, you know, that uh, that Arizona's on the clock. And I believe the, the phrase that he used was, the clock is ticking. Now, they're committed to Mullet Arena for one more season, although I'm pretty sure that a lot of the players aren't exactly thrilled uh, or committed themselves to another season at Mullet Arena. Uh, nor do I think the Players Association, not that they can really do anything about it, are thrilled uh, to see uh, members of their uh, their union playing at Mullet Arena next season. I'm sure there are plenty of owners around the league that are sick of writing checks. So I'm really curious to see what happens with Arizona. Um, and having said all that, that's this edition of the Coyotes. And if they end up going somewhere else, which market will that be? You know, could it be Salt Lake City? which a lot of people point at and say that might just be the easiest one. Or is Ryan Smith, the owner of the Utah Jazz, looking for 
an expansion team and not a relocation scenario? Could it be Atlanta? Could it be Houston? Could it be Kansas City? Arizona, to me, remains one of the most fascinating stories here. And they'll be fascinating at the draft as well. Um, I think every step of the way, as we'll hear various players uh, sharing their thoughts as training camp gets closer and closer. Um, I wonder about Clayton Keller with this team. I wonder about Nick Schmaltz with this team. Um, I'm really curious to see who's in the lineup to start the season next year and what the future is for the Arizona Coyotes because it does really feel, just to be blunt, like it's you know one foot in, in the grave and one foot on a banana peel for this organization in Arizona. So that's one of my two teams. The other is the Colorado Avalanche, and there's no Landeskog next season. Uh, Nachushkin is back, um, but there's a lot of decisions to make here, most notably who's your second-line center. Again, we'll have that conversation. Can they bring back someone like JT Comfer? And uh, what's the Bo Byram contract looking like? And what are they going to do to get themselves back to back to Stanley Cup contention? Because there's still a team there that can win the Stanley Cup. So my two are both in the West, Arizona Coyotes, Colorado Avalanche. I do have a curiosity about the St. Louis Blues. And do they go... Do they go sort of quasi-rebuild mode? I think there's a lot of decisions they're going to make about their blue line, and I think we're going to be watching that really closely uh, to see which, um, which, of those, uh, which of those defensemen aren't coming back next season um, to make room for players like Scott Prunovich. Um, so th- those are my two, and by extension, three, and they're all in the West. Arizona, Colorado, and St. Louis. Really, though, maybe, Maddie. The obvious choice is the Calgary Flames because Craig Conroy's got a million decisions to make. But what are your two? Yeah, I, I mean, I, Calgary was kind of sort of on my list, but I went, I wouldn't say a little bit off the board, but let's start with my first one. I went with the Winnipeg Jets, and they've got some players that Easy. maybe want. Yeah, Easy got, one. Yeah, they, they've got, but, but here's why I think Winnipeg is more interesting than, let's say, Toronto, because I know Toronto is on a lot of people's list of, of, teams to watch but i think that winnipeg has maybe more of a willingness to move some of their quote-unquote star players or in the case of pierre-luc dubois doesn't want to be there um so i I wonder about that and specifically with the jets i wonder about nick ehlers because he fell out of favor a little bit down the stretch with rick bonus and there were were points where you know he went from playing like 18 minutes a night to you know he's down to 14 and that's a that's a big gap for Nick Ehlers and and I wonder with you know 6 million dollars left one year on his deal I wonder if a team tries to take a two. swing two years for, does he have two, two oh yeah, I thought he has one year two I I wonder that. if a team no, tries to take a swing at at Nick Ehlers I wonder if he fell out of favor enough with Rick Bonus that it's just, okay, my yeah. time here is done, and that maybe it's time to go. They have $13 <laughs> million in cap space. Uh, Dylan Sandberg, Logan Stanley yeah. are RFAs. Morgan Barron, uh, Kevin Stenlin, and uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois are also RFAs. And the Dubois one is going to be <laughs> the big one for Winnipeg because there he doesn't want to be yep. there, which he's made abundantly clear more than once. And I wonder what the package is for Pierre-Luc Dubois. 24 years old. He'll be 25. He's a big center. He had Mm -hmm. a really good year, although he did kind of fade a little bit uh, in parts. But 
he's that guy that everybody looks at and says, I can fix that guy. I can make that guy the elite center that everybody thinks he's going to be. So that's why I think Winnipeg is really interesting because I think they have, you know, quality players that they are willing to move, whereas other teams maybe have quality yeah. players that they're not so eager to part ways with. So that's my first one. For um, me, the, the second for, for, for me, the for me, the big one on that team, I was going to say for me, the big one on that team is Connor Hellebuck. Like I, I get it with yep. Pierre-Luc Dubois, hundred percent. And I think the number one destination for Pierre-Luc Dubois, this isn't exactly a secret of the Montreal Canadiens. Now, if you're Kent Hughes, do you say to yourself, well, why would I pay for him now when I can get him for free in a year? Um, but I do think there are some other places he'd be amenable to, uh, to, to, to going here. Um, that's why I think the Pierre-Luc Dubois, I, I think Winnipeg is going to be fascinating at the draft. I think it's going to be a lot of movement, a lot of speculation. I think it's going to be a lot of talk around the Winnipeg Jets. But to me, the, the, the big one here is Connor Hellebuck. To me, he's, he sets the goalie market. I'm going to get into it with Woodley in hour two. Hellebuck sets the goalie market, man. Like he is the big one with all due respect to John Gibson. I think the big one here, you know, and maybe and we'll see what happens even with with Linus Allmark <clears throat> with the Boston Bruins. But I think the the big dog here to watch for Winnipeg is um, uh, is Connor Hellebuck, and it's been said before, and I think rightfully so, given how, given the unique set of challenges that the Winnipeg Jets have in attracting players. Kevin Dayoff, amongst all general managers in the NHL, probably has the toughest job. And that's why for any of these trades, they want players. They don't want picks and and and, and you know uh, green prospects here. Like they want players. They don't want to take a step back here. They still have you know Kyle Connor, and they still have to your point. Even though you're not necessarily sold uh, on him, uh, Nikolai Ehlers, and they have Josh Morrissey. Like this is not a team that wants to take a step back. They want to move out some contracts. They want to move out some of their big names. But they want to get young players, preferably under contract, and uh, guys that are the that are NHL regulars. Those guys, like the kinds of players that Winnipeg wants, not a lot of teams want to let go of those types of players at all. I, I think this is this is a real tough situation for Kevin Chevalier. But I don't I don't disagree with you. I think they're they're one of the most fascinating teams. Sorry, team yeah. number two for you is who? Okay, this one, I know you'll love this one, is the Buffalo Sabres. Now, the Buffalo Sabres have almost $17 million in cap space into this season. We saw what happened down the stretch. They really picked up their play. They were playing meaningful games at the end of the season, which was a bonus for them. But here's the interesting thing with the Buffalo Sabres. They have all but two defensemen on their team are restricted free agents. So they have Ilya Labushkin, yep. who will be a UFA after this year, and Matias Samuelson is signed long-term. They have extensions for Owen Power, and they have extensions for Rasmus Dahlin that they could look into. Now, they've got cap space to yeah. play with for this year. Do they go out and maybe, and I know they've, I, I, they've, they've really done a good job of filling the cupboard with young, really good players, prospects, all that. Do they go out and try and make a splash to acquire an elite forward to play with Tage Thompson, to play with Alex Tuck, to play with whomever? They also have Victor Olofsson that we all expect they're going to try and move out. So I think Buffalo is really interesting because they're a young and -and up-and-coming team. What do they do in net? I know they've got Devin Levi and Luka Pekalukkanen, and they've got um, 
Eric Comrie. Like, they've got some decisions to make. And I think that they're interesting just because they have the pieces to go out and make a splash. They can go out and bring in another mm. defenseman if they want. They can go out and bring in another forward. We saw what happened. J.J. Paterka had a really good world championships for Germany. So I think that they're a really nice yep. up-and-coming team with cap space, and I think a GM that has realized that his team is ready to push forward, and that's why I think the Buffalo Sabres are going to be one of the more interesting teams this offseason. Hmm. So a, a couple of things there. One, um, for me, uh, it was opportunity lost not having Lukanen available for the Rochester Americans um, for their playoff run. I know they see Lukanen as, a, uh, as an NHLer, but that is a valuable playoff experience that Lukanen did not get. Um, Malcolm Subban ended up carrying the load for uh, for the Rochester Americans for my money. That should have been Lukanen's, but okay. Um, to your point about uh, young players, yes, uh, Paterka looked great at the World Championships. Um, uh, Yuri Kulik, I think that everyone expects to be playing on the Buffalo Sabres maybe as early as next season, and specifically if you're getting rid of Victor Olofsson, and I'm with you, I think they are. Um, I think you bring in Kulik, who has an elite, Maddie, elite-level shot, uh, and this guy is that close. Uh, I can see, like I think most of us can, a, a mega contract here for Rasmus Dahlin and uh, Owen Power is up in a year, and that's going to be you know their big three, Dahlin, Samuelson, and, and, and Owen Power. Here's the thing about bringing in uh, a big name, because I had wondered about Connor Hallibuck with the Buffalo Sabres. I think a lot of people had as well. Or you know, bringing in another you know, a, a high-priced veteran up front, it kind of flies in the face of everything that Kevin Adams has talked about doing with this team. Like this is the draft and development team. You know, the Florida Panthers are, you know, trades and waivers. And um, I think it was only three players on the roster that were, were drafted and developed. Now there's some guys that were, you know, drafted, developed, and then used as, as trade capital to bring in Matthew Kachuk, namely Huberto and Uyghur. But, but really this team was put together by trades and waivers and they got to the Stanley cup final. Don't know about a cascading effect, but you know how this league works. So I, I don't know that, that, uh, that Kevin Adams, you know, goes against the grain because he had the opportunity to bring in Jacob Chikrin this year. And they talked about it. And there was, you know, uh, conversations between Buffalo and the Coyotes. Um, we had reported it on Hockey Night pretty early in the season. And, and it was true. Like, there were conversations. And they were, you know, looking to take some of the, take some of the burden off those, those young three defensemen that they have. Uh, Power, Samuelson, and Dalene, That they tended to overwork them throughout the games. And that was true. Um, but they weren't able to and didn't want to pay the price that Arizona wanted in order to bring in Jacob Chikrin. They're doing this the old-school, slow-play way. Like, that's the way the Buffalo Sabres are, are doing it. Like, I, I don't expect them. And again, I could be way off here. I could be way off, and they could, you know, turn around, and maybe they're the ones that sign Ivan Barbashev, and maybe they're the ones that sign... Patrick Kane. Dun, 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 dun. Tell me you haven't thought about that one before, Maddie. You've thought about Patrick Kane to Buffalo. We all have. 100%. But it kind, of, it kind of does fly in the face of everything that Kevin Adams has talked about, about doing it the slow way, and it's around Thompson, it's around Cousins, it's around Darlene. 
Uh, we'll see about Devin Levi if he's the real deal, and so far so good, and Uka Pekka Lukanen as well. This is the slow play here. And as far as veteran players, I mean, is there a more important veteran? Well, there's two. Well, there's really three. There's Alex Tuck, there's Kyle Poso, and Jeff Skinner. So I think as far as, like, veteran guys around, uh, I know that Craig Anderson's not going to be there next season, but they have, I think, no shortage of veteran players around some of these kids, these, you know, the uh, the Casey Middlestats and the Peyton Krebs and the Jack Quinns, et cetera. I think they're, I think they're fine in that regard. We even get to the players. Let's do that after Bruce Cassidy. We'll All right. Bruce Cassidy is coming up next. The uh, head coach. Yeah, good luck. Uh, head coach of the uh, Stanley Cup champion Vegas Gold, the Knights, Bruce Cassidy, coming up in moments. Kevin Woodley talks to us about the goalie markets here in the offseason and why you should be careful who you sign and who you trade for. That's coming up next, Hour 2, across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet Now. It's the Merrick Show. Cassidy and Woodley, when we return. Conduct yourselves accordingly. Back in eh, a few minutes, except if you're on 590. You get the Jays and the Orioles. Jays looking for a series win against an AL East team? What? Talk to you in a bit. stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome to Hour 2 of the program. Glad to have you aboard for the next 60 minutes or so. Uh, Kevin Woodley stops by at the bottom of the hour from InGoal Magazine and NHL.com. This uh, this year's goalie market is going to be and is already shaping up to be a really interesting one. And, you know, listen, one of the names that's uh, one of the names is going to get a lot of attention is one that we just saw lift the Stanley Cup, and that's Aiden Hill, who was outstanding uh, for Bruce Cassidy, who's joining us here in a couple of moments, and the Vegas Golden Nights, and if you're Jerry Johansson, the agent for Aiden Hill, cha-ching. It's cash register time there. Uh, always happy to see uh, players, especially ones that have been grinding it out for a long time, get paid. And, um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about uh, Aiden Hill and his journey to the Stanley Cup, and, and everyone's journey is a little bit different. Uh, Bruce Cassidy's is different than Jack Eichel's is different than Mark Stone's is different than Alex Petrangelo's is different than Ivan Barbashev's is interested is 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 different than Keegan Colasar's, uh, for example. Uh, I want to get into Bruce Cassidy's journey here in a couple of moments when he stops by. But back to the goaltending market with Kevin Woodley. Um, as I was mentioning to Maddie in hour one, the whole thing as far as the goalie market in the offseason really begins with Connor Hellebuck. I know there's some people in Boston that are wondering about Linus Allmark and the situation there. Uh, and, you know, he's got two more years at five a copy, a very, very reasonable number uh, for a goaltender. Certainly um, one of uh, the best regular season goaltenders we saw this season. Uh, we'll see about Linus Allmark. But the whole thing sort of begins with Connor Hellebuck, and we wonder about John Gibson with the Anaheim Ducks. And is it, you know, fi- now finally time for a change of scenery? With John Gibson, uh, some of the unrestricted free agents include Jonas Corposalo, who really, there was a, a moment, I think it was right around, if I can isolate it, right, right around the Buffalo game in mid-December, 
uh, for Anaheim, for Columbus rather, when things really started to change for Jonas Corposalo and really turn the season and you can make the argument turn the career around and the underlying numbers just went off the charts uh, and he became one of the uh, the elite net miners in the NHL by way again by way of the uh, the underlying numbers and he ended up with the Los Angeles Kings and we'll see what happens with him in the offseason but the goalie market will be fascinating we'll talk to Kevin Woodley from Ingold Magazine and NHL.com about it. Uh, in the meantime, I uh, want to introduce and, and bring on Bruce Cassidy of the, and I know you like this one, Bruce, Stanley Cup champion, Vegas Golden Knights. I know you've heard it a bunch, but if it were me, I'd never get sick of hearing it. Congratulations. You, Bruce Cassidy, are a Stanley Cup champion coach. Congratulations, and thanks for doing this. Thanks, Jeff. That has a great ring to it. And um, as I've said to a few people in the last 48 hours, I'm in the club now. Once you're in the club, you're in the club. You know what I mean? So it's a really good feeling. <clears throat> uh, I'll tell you what. I mean, I mean I've mean, i talked plenty about why I was really happy for you specifically, um, given your journey to, to get to the Stanley Cup for a second time. And I know it's it's tough when you get as close as you did with the Boston Bruins uh, and, and don't finish the journey. And I'm sure there was a, there was a part of you that said, I don't know if I'm ever going to get back. Like I can recall, I'll tell you a quick story. I can recall 2010, I'm working for, for Hockey Night in Canada and CBC and you know the Chicago Blackhawks are going on their run. And so I went back and, and looked at some of the, the clips and the quotes from Blackhawks players from 1961, the last time previous to 2010 when they won the Stanley Cup. This is Eddie Litzenberger's team. And you, you, you hear all of them talk after they won the Cup and it's almost as if they expect to win a whole bunch more. And of course they didn't. Um, and it really drives into the fa- into you the fact that there's no guarantees. Just because you got there once, there's no guarantee you're going to get there again. Um, you got back to the Stanley Cup final and you won it this time. But going back to 2019, was there a part of you that was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get back here again? Well, of course, right? Um, I mean, I, you know, as a player, I, I didn't have a much of an NHL career was able to win once in the minor. So it wasn't, I was part of the uh, Blackhawks one year, the, um, you know, the extra guys, the black aces when we lost to Calgary and they ended up winning the cup yep. in the next series. So it's the closest I ever got in that regard. And then in 11 with the Bruins, I had the extra guys. So I was on the ice in Vancouver and that's great, but you're, you're an outsider a little bit that way, right? You're not in the trenches. So um, mm-hmm. you're right. And uh, going into this year, there was a lot of unknowns um, getting to know the team, um, you know, building relationships, you name it, all that stuff. So there's a lot of newness going on and you want to get to the cup and you feel you're going to have a good team. But I mean, let's face it, you're trying to just get yourself solidified here and uh, get up and running and, (laughs) you know, try to get the team to a good place more than anything. And then as you go along, you certainly feel like, Hey, this team has the ingredients to win. So, uh, but that, that was a long way from, you know, my mind when you first get here and go to work, of course, that's your expectation. You want to do it, but doesn't always work out that way. So uh, here we are. Here we are, and you're a Stanley Cup champion. The, the name is going on the cup forever. Um, at what point did you, as a coach, realize that this team had a shot to win the Stanley Cup? Like, was there a point in the regular season? Uh, did it take the uh, the first round? Did it take the second round? Like, at, at what point, Bruce, did you allow yourself to say, this team could win the Stanley Cup? Well, two phases, right? Probably there's the regular season and there's, you know, the playoff part. So the regular season, we're sitting there and 
I don't know, say late, early in November, maybe 13 and two is our record. So you're thinking you got a good mm. team. We're healthy. Um, the year before, there was a lot of talk about the health. It's when I heard a lot about it this summer, and we, we were healthy and we, and we were good. We were winning games, beating good teams. Um, so that part of it, you're early on, it was like, okay, you know, and, and veteran guys, guys that knew how to play the right way. We weren't fluking our way through it. Let's put it that way. The, the question mark for us to start here was goaltending. We had a young guy in Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill, unproven, right? So you're thinking, well, yep. You know they're going to have to cut their teeth here, and but you know then you fast forward through the year and you get in, and uh, I felt the Edmonton series was a big turning point for us. I thought it might, you know, I talked to a few of the older guys. This might be our most difficult series with their run the previous year, losing to Colorado. They may have learned a lot. Um, the, the, the top name players, just their ability to be so dynamic, um, and and you know, listen, I'll look back and go through it all, but. Just off the top of my head, it might might have been our most difficult, right? It's it's two two, and um, you know we have to work really hard in game in game five to get the lead, and we're able to put them away. But that's when I knew, you know what, this this room has it. They know how to play the right way. They can handle the, you know, the the demands that goes along with it. So that was probably the series where I felt, okay, we might have just got over the hump here. But I mean, I didn't want to be disrespectful mm-hmm. to Dallas or they were still playing Seattle at the time or whoever come out of the East. But that's when I thought in my mind for our team, our particular group that yes, you know, we have it in us. Um, one of the most interesting and I would point out classy things that we saw from a coach all season long happened in that, uh, in that last game in, in game five against the Panthers. Uh, you dress five of the six misfits to start the game. And once the crowd realizes what you're doing, they go crazy, and rightfully so. We all know how much of an emotional attachment uh, these fans have to their original Vegas Golden Knights players. When did you decide to do that? Well, you know, we go to the rink in the morning. We have our, you know, sort of final prep meetings. And I just I was actually walking the dog after that because I go home to relax for a little bit before you go in the afternoon. And I just thought it would be an interesting thing to do to see if we get some juice from it, from the players, right? You know, it's a long playoff run. We typically started our fourth line a lot, Nick Waugh, not all the time, but a lot um, to get us going. And uh, I thought, you know what, why don't we put those guys out? And then I realized that Nick, you know, Will Carrier is one of them too, right? So I can only start five. (laughs) So one guy's getting left out and it's probably (laughs) Will. Um, So I apologized to him first. I said, I'm sorry, Will, but I'm not going to start you in nets. (laughs) That would look stupid. So um, the other five guys are going to go. So that's when it happened. And I thought, you know what, we'll just do it. And um, maybe we'll get a little life from it. And I honestly, you know, I've heard it from, fans uh over the last couple of days that how much it meant to them and and you know sometimes you just do something yeah. and it works right and uh you know it's hard to sit here and say well it's just stroke of genius or anything. i just thought it'd be kind of cool for the guys in our room you know and it, maybe you do it without even recognizing the magnitude of, of the home crowds so i've only been here a year right so there's a little bit of that so it's more yeah. for us and then you realize you know what the the fan base you're, you're giving them a big thank you as well so uh worked out um and uh I think the guys were were glad to get the nod. So. I, I I doesn't. I I think everybody loved it. You know, outside of uh, anyone on the Florida side, I think I think every fans and I, I think it sounds like your team must have loved it too. Like, did any of those five players say anything to you? 
I don't remember after the game, so, so many things happened. But at the time, I think they just, you know, you could tell because Ryan Craig, one of the coaches, uh, assistant coach, has been here f- from inception. And he was he was like, good for you, you know. So I, I knew that it was well-received, you know. Um, and at the end of the day, I thought, well, I mean, they're all good players. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? They get pinned in our own end or something. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we should be fine and we'll get the yeah. order of the lines right after that. And we're not a big matching team anyway, Jeff. So it, it, I told Craig, I'm going to do it no matter who they start. It doesn't matter to me. We're, we'll just, you know, we're going to roll our four lines anyway. So, um, but I think they were appreciative. Yes. At the end of the day, because it's important to them. Right. And, and I probably didn't even know the magnitude of it. As I just said, um, I just thought it'd be kind of cool for our group and worked out. Fans loved it. Um, they they absolutely did. Um, to a couple of the moments along the way, I'm I'm curious what went through your head. Um, There's one flashpoint moment where we all went, "Oh, this looks bad." Thankfully, it wasn't, and he came out for the third period. But what went through your mind when you saw Matthew Kachuk hit Jack Eichel? Well, that was a uh, attention getter to say the least, and. Especially the way, because we could tell on the bench, I mean, Jack has the puck, so you're, 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 you're watching him close, and he hadn't passed it yet. Sometimes you miss those hits because the puck moves, but um, but you could see him sort of stumble. And I said, first thing, I said, how did he get so low? on? Like, what happened? He wanted to see it again, and it was like a thud. So, but Jack got right up, came right to the bench. So then, you know, at least he's, you know, he's cognizant, he's good. He's just probably winded or, and, and then, you know, you go in between periods and realize he's fine. He just needed to sort of, you know, gather himself a little bit. So it was a good hard. It was probably the hardest hit, of, one of the harder hits of the playoffs. But we knew we were good, yep. uh, you know, halfway through the intermission. So, uh, and I think it was going to be a big, a big thing for us because you could tell that they got a little bit of juice from it. Seemed like, you know, they were they thought. I, I don't know how I can say that necessarily because you just, you know, when you're watching clips between periods, replays of, you know, certain things and it, it feel like their bench got a lift from it. And uh, sometimes those things happen in the playoffs, even though they were down, I think four nothing at the time, it might give them some energy. So Jack coming back, it really, I thought really deflated that opportunity to get some juice from it. You know, there's a lot of hockey left, but, they weren't going to get, like I said, a lift from that because Jack came out and actually made a play in his first shift and kind of won a puck battle down low and fed Marcia so in the slot and we scored to sort of restore the lead. You know, they had just come out and scored quick. So, it, like I said, took a, took some air out of their balloon, I believe, and uh, refilled ours mm-hmm. uh, certainly to have Jack back in there. So. <clears throat> You know, when um, uh, when Elliot and I were in Vegas uh, interviewing interviewing you a couple of weeks ago, we we talked about your relationship with Jack Eichel, and I asked you if you had a certain you know affinity for Eichel, and and his story was you know more similar than different uh, with with your story. Uh, you came from Boston, he came from Buffalo. Um, there was a, you know, an element of you know not wanted on the voyage, and you found yourself together in Vegas. Can you share with our listeners and, and viewers here sort of what the nature of some of your conversations, some of your initial conversations with Jack Eichel was? Yeah, I mean we we met in um, in Cape Cod. Uh, you know he was on his way to a wedding, and I you know we have a place there, so we found a, a convenient spot and just talked about. Um, you know, at first it was like introductory i mean i had met jack but not through any you know any length of time but and going through what i felt we need we needed out of him for us to to be successful and what did he need out of me uh or or the coach i guess 
and you know so that was the starting point of it um and then it kind of went on to where I, I thought we were connecting pretty well and and, and talking about how we're going to be tied together, Jack, through success or failure. So let, let's try to get this right. You know, we'll, we'll start there. And, um, and and so that's where it went. And so when we came to camp, I think Jack really values being a 200-foot player, maybe more than, you know, people knew or, or wanted to talk. But whatever. I, I don't know his whole ups and downs in Buffalo. What they, and what, I mean, I know he scored and what did they want that of him, all that yeah. stuff. But that's what we valued and wanted. And I use Patrice Bergeron as an example because, you know, listen, Bergie's one of the, the best players to ever play. And he, he's a 200-foot player, values every part of the ice. But he still scores. Yeah. He makes plays. He's on the power play. We're not taking that away from you. It's just, you know, it's, you know, to be able to check well. And Jack's strong. He can skate. He's got good hockey IQ. So right there, he's got all the elements to do it. So then it becomes just a, you know, a, a want or, or will you do it, you know, a commitment and will you value it? And he has from day one. So I'm proud of him. I am. And, and Bob and Ann should be too. He's done great, great work for us. Um, had to go through some ups and downs uh, on the ice mm-hmm. medically. And uh, he's found a good fit here. And sometimes that's, it, it takes a while, I guess, in your career. Um, but here he is. And, you know, the, the challenge for him will be to keep doing it, right? Um, you know, he yeah. was the second overall pick. He wants to live up to that. So it'll, the challenge now will be, okay, we did it once. Let's, you know, let's drive this team. Um, he's got lots of support pieces here. That's the good news here. He does not have to do it on his own. Uh, there's no captaincy at a young age where he has to handle that. Uh, he just has to play and, mm-hmm. and make us better. And, and that's was the ask of him, and he's done it. And I think that's... Um, good for where he is right now. Now, could, could he be a captain down the road? Who knows, right? But um, right now, we just need him to play. Uh, with Bruce Cassidy, head coach of the Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights, and I, I know that you're, you're you're not a bitter person, but is this, like, do you see this as vindication for Bruce Cassidy? Uh, listen, I, I got to ask that question. I think the other day, there's a lot of emotion that goes into leaving Boston because I, I, I was with the organization for, what was it? 14 years, 15 years. And, you know, we go back there. So, I mean, there's a lot of attachment there. Um, But I always felt I was a good coach and your number is going to be up sooner or later. So I didn't feel like I was any lesser of a coach when I left there. I just thought I could still do the job there, so to speak. Right. So, but for me, I guess you come here and win to me, it was always about, I want to win a cup because that puts you to me in different company, right? Like when you do that, you're a winner. They can't take yeah. it from you, right? So you have that forever, I guess. And that's what I always wanted, whether I was going to be in Boston or anywhere. So, and I've talked about it in 2019. I think, I, I mean, I felt that that loss as much as or more than anybody in the organization, I think. I mean, it's hard to measure that, but um, this, I guess, gives me, this helps heal the scar so much from that from that 19 run where we just didn't get it done so um yeah. at the end of the day is that it's it's not it's not vindication it isn't it, it really isn't it's of course you know you want to you know prove to people you can do it um but i don't think boston ever felt like oh this guy can't coach anymore they just wanted a new voice right so um yeah. and thought they were better off with someone else and that's entirely their call and and Teams make that call all the time. I mean, Vegas made it, and uh, I got the opportunity here, right? So you're usually getting an opportunity yep. because someone else got let go, and I that's how I got my Boston job with Claude Julien. He's a great coach. He got let go. So 
that's part of it. So you got to put that in mm-hmm. perspective too. <clears throat> You know, we all have these ideas that um, uh, before every game or before a game like Game 5, a closeout, you know, Stanley Cup's in the building, all of that, there are these great speeches uh, by coaches. And we all know about, you know, Fred Shiro's famous, you know, to the Philadelphia Flyers, if we win tonight, boys, we walk together forever. Did you have one of those speeches before Game 5, or did you even really need to to address this team at all? No, my speech for game five was starting the, the five original guys, right? So you're hoping that that sort of, hey, these are, these are the guys that put the, the foundation in place. Get us going here. So that that was enough. We had a sit down, I will say, before game six in Dallas, right? We're up three nothing in the series. We lose the next two. Play okay. Not good enough to close them out. And we talked about hockey family legacies, right? Like hockey should have never de- defined it. You're, you're, you know, we have great uh, husbands, fathers, sons, brothers, whatever, all of the above. But when it comes to hockey, do you want to be the team that almost made it? Or, you know, do you like, what do you want your legacy to be? So we talked about that uh, to get over the hump in that Dallas series. Because I honestly thought if we, you know, once we close that series out, if we're able to, now you're in the finals, I think our our team was running, running very well. So that was probably the biggest speech that I would have addressed the guys with. And that was the night before game six. And we came out and had a great game six. That would have been our measuring stick game after that. And I think it carried over into Florida. So that yeah. was probably the, 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 the raw, raw time. You know what I mean? The Fred Shiro sort of, you know, trying to hit home with a message that sticks with them. So, and I thought we did a good job balancing in the final or off days um, of allowing the players to sort of think about the big picture dream of the Stanley cup. And then on, when we got back to work, it was about the details of how to do that. And so uh, I think we handled that well, and we're able to handle that, I think, Jeff, because of our veteran guys in the team, right? I mean, they've been there, so they knew a little bit of the, the process. So, <clears throat> uh, Two questions left for you. Um, one, who did you think of right away? I mean, first of all, your bench started uh, piling over. There's still 10 seconds left, and guys were jumping over the boards. I thought that was uh, that was, uh, that was the – didn't even wait till the finer bu- final buzzer for the celebration, but – who did you think of right away? Well, I we thought we were going to get a too many men on the ice call. That's for sure. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, you know what? Uh, people just started uh, hugging, and so now you're, I'm thinking of my, you know, my family. That's obviously been through the ups and downs, right? They sometimes feel the, yeah. you know, the the downs more than you do. You, I'm in the trenches, and you get. You know, you, you get thicker skin in this this line of work, and you know that you know they read stuff, they hear stuff. So I, I felt great for them. They've been through it every step of the way. And my parents have passed away, you know, a number of years ago. Um, so, but you know, the, the work that they put in, right? So you're thinking of them as like it's too bad they couldn't be here for this moment. But my brother made it in from Ottawa, and we're, there's just the two of us. So, you know, you have a piece of your. Mm-hmm pieces of your family around that that's what went through my head and um and all they just you know that's it i don't know it's just such a blur when it happened because you're right people are emptying onto the ice onto the bench onto the ice and the other thing i thought is i gotta go shake hands with the, the other coach it's it, it's the right thing to do right i got you know because yes. i've been on the other side of that i know what it feels like to lose in the final so you know you want to do the right thing as well yet you're just trying to you know enjoy your 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 you know, the final buzzer too. So there's a little bit of that. And, um, and, and, you know, that gets squared away. Obviously they understand that. I understood it years ago. So, 
but that was um, that's how I felt. First of all, um, I really think that answer where the uh, the my my starting five that that was my pregame speech. I I just love that, Bruce. Let me ask you one one final question. I'll let you get on with your afternoon. Um, at what point do you allow yourself, and maybe you already have, to start thinking about next season? Well, I mean, Coop sent me a text, and I said, I want to do what you did, Coop. I want, I want to do it again. It was only 24 hours later, so <laughs> uh, right away. Um, but, you know, it's that's the, the natural thought, but I know that I'm going to sort of, you have to enjoy this. You have to decompress. You'll have to. You're, I mean, not, if you can't, I mean, that's what you play for. So I know in the back of my mind, we'll talk about our roster and all that. But um, the interesting thing is, I think I think 19 or 20 of our guys are signed for next year. We have a lot of the same guys back. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. right off the top of your head, you're thinking, well, we just did it with this group. You know, you're always tinkering a little bit, right? That's natural in the salary cap era. But, um Sure. You know, we, we probably have the ability. We should have the ability to do it again. That's the good news. But I'm not mm-hmm. going to that right now. You can't. I think this is something. You know, you know I'm. You know, I, it's it's my first one, and you have to enjoy. It. You have to take the time, and and check all those boxes. And I will. I will. You know the. You know once you know sort of the parade is done. Enjoy the parade, and then the next thing, and the next thing. And you know, I think for a coach, it's you know, something that you should do. And as a player as well, the, the, the thing with the player that's different is, you know, physically they have to be prepared for the next year's training camp. And that's the tough part after this grind. How do they manage their summer? But for a coach, it's you know, a lot of mental work that you can certainly manage over the summer. Listen, this looks so good on you, Bruce. Um, congratulations from from my little corner. Um, your story has been a great one from, uh, you know, from being coached by the legendary Brian Kilray uh, to coaching against him uh, when you're with, uh, with Kingston as well to your, your journey through the NHL, uh, the American Hockey League, uh, to the Stanley Cup final twice uh, and win it your second time. It's, it looks so good on you. Congratulations uh, to you and the entire organization. That's, uh, as you mentioned, that's one that they'll never take away and your name's going to be on that cup forever. Thanks as always, Bruce. Have a great offseason. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate the kind words. We'll catch up soon. Absolutely. Bruce Cassidy is the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, Stanley Cup champions, and he's had a fascinating story. And to me, Matt Marchese, as we bring you in here, um, the the money line in that one is uh, the starting five was my pregame speech. I just absolutely loved that answer. My starting five was the pregame speech. Yeah, and it's almost as if when you look at what the organization has, I mean, I don't want to say what they've been through because it hasn't been very long, but you know, those guys that had been there as we, as I think they're going to be termed the survivor six, um, those guys had been through a lot. Those guys got to a point where like they were so close after being cast away by other organizations. And, you know, Bruce made the point of, you know, I, everybody gets a job because somebody else got fired, but in their case, it was like, well, we just don't want you anymore. We're only going to let you somebody have you for free. And for those guys to start in that moment, and I think when you when you look back on it, it really was the perfect way to go. And, I mean, I, George McPhee's comments after were fantastic. Like, you know, I wish I had known because it wasn't a great first <laughs> shift, which was fantastic in the moment. But that just yeah. kind of speaks to the character of Bruce Cassidy and also understanding the moment that he is in. I think that was great. And, and just talking about, like, that to me is like, 
I know I don't need to say anything because these guys have been here. These guys have been part of the culture and the fabric of this organization since its inception. I don't need to say anything else. Here, here you go, guys. This is your opportunity, and it worked out great. You know, and um, thinking back to the conversation that I had with Greg Wyshynski yesterday, he brought up the great point. This uh, this team is uh, Vegas's own. They didn't come from anywhere else, right? This wasn't, you know, the, the, the Raiders or it's going to be the A's, it looks like, from uh, an MLB coming to Vegas. This is the Vegas Golden Knights, and there is that affinity with those original players. Um, they love them. Like they, sure. like, honestly, like I, I never thought, cause I was one of the skeptics. They love this team and they love those original guys. Uh, and they love like guys that have moved on. Look how well thought of, you know, Derek Engeland is, uh, with this organization still to this day. It's listen, it's, it's a wonderful story. We've been through it a, a number of different ways, a number of different times here uh, on this show or, or on the podcast with Elliot. Like there's a number of different ways that, uh, that you can approach this, but it's a, it's a great look on an organization. Um, and I think like, look, when you look at who's coming back next season and we'll see what happens with Aiden Hill, we'll see what happens with the net mining situation. We'll see what happens with Ivan Barbashev, but <clears throat> This team could win it again next year. Now, the one caveat for me is, and I didn't have time to get into this with Bruce, you know, because you always want to, you know, go through the right opponents along the way. Like, I thought it was really important for, what's a good example? Ah, I thought it was really important for the Washington Capitals to beat the Pittsburgh Penguins en route to their Stanley Cup, right? So part of me looks at this and says, if Vegas does it again, it'll be really important for that organization now to beat the Colorado Avalanche. If they do it next year. Now, I know they've beaten them before, but there's always been that thing between Vegas and Colorado. Yep. Agree, disagree. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. And it'll be another one of those elite contenders in the West, we think. Right? So it goes it goes hand in That'd hand with exactly series. what you're talking about. It'll be like if Colorado wants to do it, go through Vegas. If Vegas wants to do it, go through Colorado. Essentially, yeah, what I'm saying some... is give me that series next year. I just want yeah, that series want... next year is essentially what I'm saying. Yeah. You want some breaking news? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, shoot. Okay. The uh, New Jersey Devils from our mm. own Elliot Friedman are uh, closing in on an eight-year extension with Jesper Bratt, a uh, 7.875 okay, AAV. Uh, and he says, do the math. And it's $63 million, which happens to be Brat's jersey number. <laughs> okay, that's cute. Uh, and it's also a really good number for Jesper Brad as well. And congratulations to the, the New Jersey Devils. Uh, when this gets concluded, we'll see what happens with Timo Meyer. Uh, but looks like Tom Fitzgerald wasting no time here getting Jesper Brat under contract. Um, okay, on that we'll pause. Um, but that's good. Thanks for coming in with that one. So Jesper Brat and the New Jersey Devils, according to Elliot. Uh, 7.85 is the AAV on that one. Uh, when we come back, uh, Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine. I don't know how economical we're going to be because we never are with Kevin, but we'll try. Well, we'll try to try. We'll talk to us about the goaltending market and why it works in one situation doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in another. We'll talk about goalies, goalie styles, team styles, 
and uh, why you should be very careful when you're choosing a goalie. And this year's goalie market is certainly both exceptional and interesting. Woodley coming up in moments from in goal. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program here. I got uh, about 25 minutes, actually 20 minutes left in the program here, trying to get in touch with Kevin Woodley uh, from Ingold Magazine and NHL.com. He's a busy guy. Uh, we'll try to get in touch with Woodley here in a couple of moments and bring him on the show. Uh, in the meantime, Marchese, if you are still there. Present. <laughs> this isn't school. Present. Put your hand up if you want. Put your hand up if you want to go to the washroom, though. Um, let's go through as we wait for uh, for Woodley here from Ingol. Uh, two players you're interested in following in the off season. We'll, I, I went with uh, uh, Arizona and Colorado was my teams first. You go with the players first. Okay, I'll start. Vince Dunn is my most intriguing player. Uh, RFA coming off his best season. Oh, hang on, um, Woodley's the, there. Okay, go, go. Pause because Woodley's here, but I love the Vince Dunn choice. Maybe we'll we'll punt this until tomorrow. Uh, Kevin Woodley joins us from Ingold Magazine and NHL.com. Hello, Kevin. How are you, Jeff? Uh, I am doing well. So a a couple of things here. Um, The goalie market, whether it's Connor Hellebuck, John Gibson, some people in Boston keep saying to me, Linus Ullmark, uh, Jonas Corposalo, et cetera, et cetera. I would throw Joey Decord into this, considering what he's doing right now and has been all season long with Coachella Valley. How would you, before we start to drill down on specific goaltenders, how would you assess the goalie market this offseason? Yet another potentially incredible game of musical chairs, right? Like, I feel like every summer I say, this is going to be the greatest game of musical chairs we've ever seen, and the next <laughs> summer it's the same. And, and it kind of, you know, outside of a small handful of guys, I mean, I guess the difference is, you know, we, we've potentially got some guys getting freed up that are in that sort of top tier via trade. But for the most part, you're shopping in that second tier, right? Like, and, and maybe, you know, maybe even third tier. So this is, you know, in some ways it's like, it's just, it's madness. There's more movement than I would argue in any other position when you, when you look at the total number of jobs available and, and the amount of players that change teams. Um, mm-hmm. and I think the teams that do it with more, with you know, more than just educated guesses, um, like the more educated those guesses are, the better, better your chances are of finding the right fit. Like, I think we're way past the days and I would hope for, for, for most teams, certainly not all, we're way past the days of he's a good goalie. He makes us better. You're looking for more information than that, whether, whether it's analytics or style or, you know, through the pre-scout of a goaltending coach trying to match those two. So what are some of the things, then? I'm, I'm glad you got us there quickly. What are some of the things that, you know, casual hockey fans or even hardcore hockey fans, because goaltending has always been, I think for a lot of people, it's really myself included, a tricky one to evaluate or measure. What are some of the things that hockey fans, hockey people in general, should keep in mind when they're trying to marry new goaltenders to new teams? Well, I think, you know, part of the the complication of this is that your average fan doesn't have access 
to enough of the context in terms of the types of shots your team gives up and the types of shots and chances these goalies have their most success against um, just because a lot of that's not publicly available. And so I've sort of got my cheat sheet, right? I look at ClearSight Analytics, the company run by Stephen Baliquette, yeah. and we're able to sort of drill down these numbers. And so, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple, like I can give you a couple examples. I'll give you one just because it's the sure. biggest name on the market uh, trade-wise, right? Like Connor Hellebuck. Um, you know, in that elite class, I think most people would put him there. Um, some people might argue, but, you know, most people put him in that class and he's available. So I think consensus would be he's a great goaltender. He's going to be great no matter what. And so I've had some people ask me, for example, Buffalo. Like, if Buffalo needs goaltending and Connor Hellebuck's available, like, and, and there's complicating factors. Like, it, he's available and you extend him and Devin Levi and all those things. But just right now, this team and the potential of having Connor Hellebuck on it next season – you know, people will be like, they're a better team. They're a playoff team. I think you got to, if you look a little closer, like Connor Hellebuck, there's only a couple of things that he is not exceptional at. One is slot line plays, pucks that cross the middle of the ice before a chance on the other side. Yep. So plays that force a goaltender to go completely one side to the other. And the other is breakaways. And this is not to say that he is poor on either you don't get to the status he has both as a finalist for the Vezina this year and having won it before, if you're really bad at anything, but if you look at strengths and weaknesses, like he might be the best goalie in the entire league in the entire world in straight lines. But if you go East West, his numbers, and this is across the board over the last five seasons, you know, a couple blips here and there, but in totality and each season, the numbers dip when it, when you make him go East West. And to the point where even this year, that particular stat was slightly below expected. You know, not, not terrible, but below expected. So if you're going to pay a huge acquisition cost and you're going to sign him to an extension, you probably don't want to be a team in the Buffalo Sabres that gives up the fifth most yeah. slot line plays in the National Hockey League and the most breakaways of any team, both at even strength and overall. You know, like, that's, those are the type... That's the type of thinking. Those are the type of equations. You're asking a guy to play to his biggest weaknesses. You know, again, they're relative. It goes back to the conversation about Vasilevsky in the first round. Is Vasilevsky bad at screens? No. He was 19th when I looked up over the last five years. But he's top five in everything else, so damn right you're going to attack him with screens. By the way, certain types of screens can be a 30 to 40% scoring chance, right? So um, you have to sort of consider all those factors. You can't just say... This goalie is great, and that means he's great at everything. If Connor Hellebuck's biggest relative weakness is something you happen to be one of the worst teams in the league at giving up defensively, and you're going to spend a whole bunch to acquire him, you better fix those mistakes on your back end or fix how you play or who you have on your back end, or you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And that's, I think you can find examples, maybe not to those extremes, but of a lot of different teams and a lot of different goalies and see if you can match that and at least have an idea whether there's an easy fit or whether there's going to be an adjustment required either by how the team plays or by the way the goaltender plays. Yeah. Circling back to that, uh, the point about the slot line passes. So what Kevin is explaining, just for our listeners slash viewers that may not be familiar, the slot line pass is the pass that goes past the middle of the ice. If you draw an imaginary line uh, from the middle of the crease from one end to the other, 
save percentages, performance tends to go down uh, if the pre-shot movement is a puck going past that imaginary line. The question that I would have is, isn't that every goaltender? Isn't that every goaltender whose performance goes down after, if, if that's the pre-shot movement? Well, that's, that's how you, I mean, that's what we've seen as the biggest increase of offense is, you know, um, teams figuring out that this is how you raise your chances of scoring is by creating that, especially low slot line below the hash marks. And just for the record, the slot line only goes to the top of the circles. So if you go point to point at the D and take a one-timer, that's not a slot line play, but it's above the top of the circles. But right. below the hash marks, like that's, we've seen a 41% increase in offense in the last five years in the National Hockey League of that type of chance alone. Like These are the type of dynamic chances, and you're right. They're a more difficult scoring chance for every goaltender. That's why teams are trying to create them. But how every goaltender handles it, how good they are at managing it, is very different. I'll give you another example from these playoffs. Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill's overall wow. slot line numbers over the past, you know over this season um, are below expected. So he he performs below average on plays across the slot line. But you got to split it up a little bit. Plays below the hash mark, so the low slot line passes. So passes that get through plays that get through pucks that are carried across below the hash marks across mm-hmm. the middle of the ice. Aiden's actually exceptional at that. All of the damage is done in terms of his statistics on slot line plays above the hash marks. Plays higher in the zone that put him into more of a skating reactive position. Because if you're doing it down low, you think about how conservative his depth is, how, how much further back in the crease he plays with Sean Burke, uh, the goaltending director and coach in, in Vegas, that preference we know about dating back to his time with Benoit Lair. And you think about the size and length, the ability to extend those limbs that Aiden Hill has, like he was better on low slot line plays, which are typically the most dangerous scoring chance. He actually defended that better than he did higher in the zone. And when you look at what Vegas gave up in the playoffs, they were 13th amongst the 16 teams in terms of the amount of slot line plays they gave up. But guess what they were on high slot line plays? Aiden's biggest, again, relative weakness third best team in the playoffs so you know that's a team matching the strengths and weaknesses of its goaltenders to what they're willing to give up I mean obviously the other team's trying to create too but what they're willing to give up in front of them and when you find matches that are that perfect that's when you see runs like what we saw Aiden Hill go on now again a lot of it's just Aiden Hill playing exceptionally and and better than he has over the past number of years but not exposing him to his biggest relative statistical weakness for most of the playoffs, sure as hell doesn't hurt, does it? Hmm. What about the goaltender the other end of the ice here? Like, we made a lot of noise, and I think rightfully so, about, you know, if the if the Florida Panthers end up winning the Stanley Cup, Conn Smythe Trophy to Sergei Bobrovsky, we're talking about, you know, Hall of Fame-type uh, qualifications here. Were you surprised at what we saw out of Bobrovsky in the playoffs? Okay, so two things there. One, it was interesting to me that that, conversation was happening around Bob, not that it wasn't deserved, but it wasn't, we didn't hear the same noise for Aiden Hill at the other end going into the Stanley cup final. And again, smaller sample. Um, but overall in the playoffs, he had a better adjusted save percentage, even entering the cup final than Sergei Bobrovsky did. Like the one thing, like as much as I talk about Vegas doing a good job of, of not allowing teams to attack relative weaknesses, 
Aiden Hill's adjusted save percentage in the playoffs, like if you do that over the course of a season, we're talking Vezina Trophy. Like that's how good he was. And even heading into the finals, it was better than Bob. So um, Bob was just so good in the second and third rounds, he kind of sort of statistically had to get past the first. I'm not surprised for a couple of reasons. One, we know he's capable of it. He didn't forget how to play goal. When you look at the technique, the, the plays that we marveled at, um, his ability to go east-west, to combat those slot line plays, the way he maintains active hands throughout it, the exceptional sort of blocker use that he has. The biggest, two of the biggest weaknesses for him since he got to Florida were sort of plays, uh, pop passes and stuff into sort of between the face-off dots. How many of those did you see in the playoffs? Mm-hmm. And screens. Screens have been a statistical weakness. If he sees it, if he can read a play, even if it's one of the, those grade A, like slot line, super high danger plays, there was one that Marcheseau scored uh, that the great Jack Eichel feed coming down. I and mean, there were so many great Jack Eichel passes where he comes sort of down below yeah. the bottom of the circle and goes cross crease to the other side for a one T from Marcheseau. I swear, if you go back and look at that play, Bob gets there. And I'm willing to bet he makes that save if Aaron Mackblad isn't between him and the release to take his eyes off at the last second. Because you watch the way he builds his coverage, hmm. the way he gets his body there, the way the blocker is activated. I think he makes that save if he can see it. And I think what you saw in the cup final that you didn't see enough of leading up to it was a team in Vegas that did a really good job of taking away those sight lines and those clean looks not just in terms of getting bodies in front of him, not single screens, which most goalies manage well and are actually the lowest percentage of all the screenshots, but by dragging defenders with them through his sight lines, moving screens, flash screens as we call them. Uh, I, I don't think you saw as much of those up to that point in the playoffs, and that allowed him to thrive. And I think you saw more of it in the cup final. I think that's why some of the numbers came down. So again, and that's not... Like, that's not just a, hey, hot goalie, get traffic to the net, get pucks to the net. That's looking at five years of data, or, you know, especially since he arrived in, in Florida. Like, that's the number that hasn't, you know, that has been, you know, his worst sort of relative performances with screen chances. And we saw Vegas do a much better job than the other teams of creating those types of chances. Let me, um, I have a curiosity, I think we all do, about the, um, the, the free agent goalie market in the offseason and whether it's Varlamov, whether it's Freddie Anderson, uh, whether it's Tristan Jari, um, whether it's Jonas Corposalo. Uh, who do you think we should really pay attention to here? Like, is there one goalie who, and again, I, to your previous point, a lot of it depends on who the team is, but uh, as someone who follows this closer than me and anybody listening or watching right now, who does Kevin Woodley have his eye on most this offseason? Probably Corpusalo, um, in part because, you know, he was a guy that I liked uh, as an acquisition for the trade deadline. Uh, and obviously, you know, he had a lot of success once he got to Los Angeles. Like, that was a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. Um, other guys that I'm curious on, like, statistically, statistically, as long as it's in a limited role and you're not asking too much of them, like Semyon Varlamov can still play. Um, so that's what I'm curious on. You know, frankly, Aiden Hill, right? Like, he really only has had one poor, really poor statistical season that was in San Jose. He posted some pretty good numbers in Arizona, especially when you had the adjusted numbers. Uh, he was right around expected this season. And then he had a playoff that, like I said, if you juxtapose that over an entire season, he's a Vesna, you know, Vesna Trophy finalist. Like, that's how good his playoffs were. 
in a small sample. And I'm curious to see who's buying the small sample and who, who's taking a longer look at the big sample. Because the big sample isn't that bad, but it's obviously not mm. to the degree we saw in the playoffs. So, you know, does Aiden Hill set the market here? Because there aren't a lot of huge names. Like, the other part is, as much as we focus on who has a need for a number one and we look at the bigger names on that list, the Jaris, you know, the Andersons of the world, um, I, you know, how important is depth? Florida doesn't get there without Alex Lyon. We know that Vegas used five. Like, at a time when you typically cannot just have a stud number one, like, you have to have minutes from your two, and probably for most teams, your three, it's the depth decisions that matter the most. So you talked about Joey Decord and the playoff run that he's had, had had success when he was up with Seattle in, in very brief opportunities this season. Like, those are the type of decisions that, for a lot of teams, could end up making the difference between playoffs or not, especially... You know, if you're counting on a number one guy and he, and he can't stay healthy, uh, which is, you know, again, increasingly we see that workload go down and guys struggle to make it through a season and the need to have options beyond number one. So for all the focus we have on the big names, it might be the that second and third tier I talked about that end up making the biggest difference, you know, come playoff time, much like Aiden Hill. How many people paid that close attention to the fourth round pick they gave up to get him? And he ends up being the difference for the Vegas Golden Knights mm-hmm. winning their first cup. You know, interesting about Hill. Well, uh, I I got to end on this one. Um, Hill at the uh, at Stanley Cup Media Day. I was talking to him with Elliot, and we were talking about uh, afternoon naps. And he said that he was never a big afternoon napper. Never did it. He said he did once this year. Um, he broke with tradition, and he said it was a game against Anaheim. And he said he was awful, and he got shelled, and he got pulled, and he said that's it. No more afternoon naps for me. Do you know uh, any goaltenders that are fanatical? I mean, listen, I know there's still some goaltenders that aren't playing right now that still do their afternoon nap. But any goalies, we got about a 30 seconds here. Any goalies that are fanatical about either yes to napping or no to napping? I know that's a hard-hitting question for you, Kevin. No, and it's one I don't have an answer to. So it might be this one of the few times you get a quick answer. And I mean, to be honest, <laughs> it's not one I've asked. I love, I love hearing that anecdote from Aiden and. You know, I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm going to make a note here, Jeff, and at some point that will be an unmasked column at NHL.com next year because uh, it's Perfect. not a question I've asked in the past and I will now do it. Because honestly, I can see it, right? Like, if you don't feel like you, you, you fully wake up, if you're groggy at all as a goaltender headed to the rink, that's not a good thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the timing and, and the length would be essential for goalies. Hundred percent. And if if you if you want to look it up, it's it's a game against Anaheim where he got yanked. That was the day that Aiden Hill had the nap, or probably the last nap uh, before a game in his career. Kevin, you're uh, you're always the goods. You always deliver. Thanks so much for stopping by again today. Always my pleasure, Jeff. Talk soon. There is the great Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. We got a hustle. Thanks to Kevin Woodley for stopping by. Thanks to Bruce Cassidy, head coach of the Stanley Cup champion, Vegas Golden Knights. And thanks to the Vegas Golden Knights and Nate Ewell specifically uh, for making that happen. And thanks to Elliot Friedman, as always. A Block Elliot uh, kicking it off. Uh, thanks to Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, and Matt Marchese. Uh, I'm off tomorrow. Maddie is in for me. Uh, the program uh, with yours truly uh, returns on Monday. Elliot and I will do a podcast tonight, which will be released tomorrow morning. Uh, and there's your hockey programming, folks. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. I will talk to you on Monday. The Marchese Experience 
is tomorrow across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Enjoy.